Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flywheel Nation community, go to flywheelnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. You asked how we can feel safe. Oftentimes when we're on a stage, whatever that stage may look like, we feel like we're the vulnerable ones. Is somebody going to jump out of the audience and say something or something dangerous going to happen? But the reality is when we're in front, we're actually the ones in charge. The audience have surrendered their time and their attention. They're two most valuable and never renewable resources. It's our opportunity and even our responsibility to carry them through our time together, to give them something of value, to help them feel connected, to help them see the world in a new way, or just simply laugh together. That's one way of understanding it is that we are not the most vulnerable in the auditorium. It's the audience who is. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Rockland in Maine, the USA, Margaret Romney, who's a founder and trainer and coach all at once at Master Speaker Lab. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Margaret. It's a real privilege to have you on as our guest. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here. Now, Tanya Alvarez, who was our guest on episode 581 of the Innova Buzz podcast, introduced us and suggested that we have a conversation. So a big hello to Tanya. Hello, Tanya. Thank you so much for this. Yeah. Big fan of Tanya's. Now, you've got a fascinating backstory and today your life's work in helping others connect with their audience and present themselves with confidence and and basically get their message across in a way that it's heard and resonates with the people that they can help. So I'm really looking forward to talking more about that and learning about your practices and frameworks. But before we do that, Margaret, what's the impact you're making in the world today? Um, what my clients say after I work with them is they have better access to their own speaking confidence. They feel like they can carry themselves with more executive presence, and they have frameworks to use for almost any communication situation, whether they're presenting or having a difficult conversation. They have tools that they can use to strategize and on the spot so they can better express themselves and connect well with those around them. Mm. Yeah, and and that's so important today, isn't it? It's... Um... I know I've had lots of conversations with people around in the in the context of public speaking and I don't want to do public speaking is is something I hear a lot or or I just don't feel comfortable public speaking and yet um, every day we're public speaking I mean if we we've we've just been on a road trip and been eating out a lot every time we place an order, we're doing public speaking and we have to we have to communicate in a way that we get our message across so that we get what we want in that situation. Exactly, exactly. And I love that phrase of getting getting what you want. And that is one of my first strategies before you go into 
some kind of speaking situation is thinking through that. What do I want by the end of this? Maybe I have an idea around something I want to achieve, but more importantly, what do I want to feel? What do I want the other people to feel after I have had an exchange with them? I'm sure you have the same feeling. You're interviewing all these people for your podcast and through however many episodes, 500, 600, how many episodes you have <laughs> yeah, now. <laughs> I'm curious with you, like, what do you do to, what is, what's the end result you are wanting? What's like an ending feeling that you want with your guests after the recording turns off? Mm, that's a great question. And, and I guess I look at it from the aspect of there's really three three people in this conversation. There's the listener who's listening in on the conversation. There's you as my guest and there's me. And I guess the first thing, and, and you said when I ask, I always ask my guests a question before we start, what will make this the best show you've ever been on, which is my aim. And and you said, well, if we laugh a lot and have fun. So having fun <laughs> to me is is a big thing. So I want to come out of that out of the conversation at the end saying I had fun. I would like my listener to also think, well, that was a fun conversation. And at the yeah. same time, I want to learn something from my guests. That, that's kind of one of the, one of my tools, in fact, is, is these conversations that I learned from. And then I hope that my listener will actually learn from it as well. And that my guest goes away and says, oh, I've never thought of looking at this thing that is in my expertise, in my wheelhouse, but I've never thought of it in that light. So hopefully there's, we all learn something. That's fantastic. I love it that, that's, that you're so clear on what you want. I love it that, they, that the listener is like right here. There's three mm. of us right here together, always having that audience in mind. Yeah, yeah. And I know... that's from people that I meet with regularly who are listeners. Um, they often tell me something about an episode that they've listened to and heard, and they'll tell me something about that episode, and I'll say, oh, I don't even remember that. So clearly things are resonating with them that at the time or in my memory afterwards are not so important to me, and yet... It's, it's something that resonated with the listener. So there's, there's um, yeah, there's lots going on. That reminds me of one of my favorite quotes about speaking. It's, it's unknown exactly who said it, but they said there's for every talk you gave, there are actually four talks. There's the one you prepared, <laughs> the one you gave, the one you wish you gave, and then the one the audience heard. Hmm. And each of those can be a little bit different. That's right. Yeah, it's, um, yeah, I've heard that quote as well, and I can't remember who, who initially said that one. The the interesting thing is, um, I often talk to people that are starting out in public speaking, and and one of the conversations that comes up, oh, I forgot to say this in the talk I gave, or. Um, I was really nervous might come up and I said, well, I didn't notice that you were nervous. Um, and also I didn't notice that you forgot something. In fact, I don't have your script. So there's no need to tell anyone <laughs> that you forgot to say something because as far as I'm concerned, the listener, um, you said what you said <laughs> and it, yeah. res it resonated with me. I took a message away. And in fact, I was inspired by that message. So, you know, take that on board as feedback. You actually made a difference to me as the listener. Uh, whereas, Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. And I know I've done this as well. I kind of, I've prepared the speech, which is the one I hope I wanted to give. And then afterwards, I think, oh, I forgot to mention this bit. <laughs> and and it's kind of like the natural thing is, oh, didn't quite work out the way I wanted. And yet it actually came across really well because everybody's cheering and inspired and said that was fantastic. I really took a lot away from that. 
Yeah, isn't that one thing I like to do in my work is I'm um, I'm sort of a armchair um, neurology nerd, and I <laughs> love figuring out what's going on inside the brain. And there's a fascinating thing that happens when we are the one being looked at, when we are on a stage and all of the eyes are looking at us, um, and that it can be a very as a lot of people say that they're nervous. There's, it can really trigger our sort of fight or flight response when mm -hmm. we feel under stress like that. And when that happens to us, we perceive that event very, very differently than the audience. Like you said, people are like, oh, I missed, I missed this one thing that I was supposed to say. Oh, I stumbled over these words. Oh, I think I looked so nervous. I felt so nervous. Everybody in the audience surely felt and heard my heart beating. And of course we in the audience were like, no. And actually I kind of sometimes was just thinking about what I was going to have for lunch, yeah. you know? And so we as speakers, when those, when we are the ones with all the eyes on us, our brain snaps into a very different mode than the rest of the time. So we actually don't have the best seat in the house. And our judgment of our own presentation is often not to be trusted because we scrutinize it so hmm. deeply and we can't feel as much what the audience is feeling of just being in the flow with it. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're our own worst critics, aren't we? Exactly. Yeah. One of the things, and, and you asked me this question before, and one of the things you're very strong on is being really clear about what you want to leave the audience. And the the idea, I think you use the word gift in, in some of the um, some of the messages or, or things I've seen about you. And I often say to people, even when they're really nervous and scared to get up and speak, I say, you're you're giving a gift to the audience and just be really clear about what it is you want the audience to take away from what you're going to say or and and it is a gift and treat it like that and think in terms of the audience so talk to me a little bit more about that and also coming back to your uh, mantra which is speakership is leadership yeah. Oh, there's a lot there. Yeah. So this word speakership, um, I, I discovered it a f um, about 10 years ago. I was working with many speakers who were preparing to speak at a TEDx event. I was early in my speaking coaching career and I was helping them to prepare to be on the stage, working with their nerves and body language and presenting skills and helping them craft a story. And as we were getting close to the event and it was, we could see that the end was, was close, that the event was going to be over, our conversation shifted. And among the different speakers, there was a lot of questions about, okay, well, how do I take these ideas? How am I going to say them on a podcast? How do I now share them like with new employees in my company? How do I keep this message going? How can I, with all my words in everyday life, continue to lead in this direction? And I realized that speaking isn't over, leadership isn't over when the lights go off and the stage curtains are down. It was for the, all these people, they'd been speaking about and building these ideas for years, often decades, and it was going to continue after the stage. And I realized whenever they were speaking about their ideas, whenever they were speaking to anyone, they brought themselves, they brought their values, they brought their history, they brought their experiences, they brought their vision of what, what was next, they brought their kindness, their relationships. And that's when I kind of realize this phrase of speakership is leadership. When you are speaking, you have an opportunity to lead, no matter what the stage looks like, whether it's a front porch or a wooden stage with a curtain coming down and spotlights or the front of a conference room at work or even in an elevator. When you are speaking, you have an opportunity. Where are you going to lead? What is the gift you're going to give? even if it's just a moment of kindness, maybe it's a new idea about what's possible in the world. What is it that you want to leave behind? 
to the people who've listened to you. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. And uh, again, it's kind of the idea of a gift and what do you want to leave the people who you, who are your audience, even, even in just a one-on-one. It reminds me, it was a funny situation. Um, we were walking the street the other day and there was a car came out of a garage in front of us and was about to roar off down the street and I noticed it's um, it's um, and I'm struggling with the word again <laughs> um, we call it the boot in Australia I think it's a trunk that's it the that's the word trunk the trunk trunk door was open and this was actually in the US so I was struggling for the words then <laughs> but I <laughs> waved and the guy stopped and got out and thought I was being angry because he sort of pulled out in front of us and what yeah what's going on and I said no no your back's open your back door's open I said because I couldn't think of trunk Um, and then somebody (laughs) else was actually there and saw as well your trunk's open and oh and his whole demeanor changed and smiled and thank you and closed the trunk and drove off Um, it's it's little moments like that where that is a leadership moment and that is um, something where you give a gift to somebody, even even though the person initially was quite defensive, right? Exactly, exactly. That reminds me of a story in my book. I am, have a book coming out in September with that exact same title, Speakership is Leadership, and I talk in there about this idea of giving a gift. And um, I was lucky to learn this concept from my dad. My dad was someone who, wherever he went, he needed, he wanted to make people laugh and he wanted them to feel included and relaxed. Hmm. And so, and he had many opportunities to do this as a leader. He was a vice assistant vice president at a university. He held many church leadership positions, but even when we were, would go to a restaurant, we would all sit back and if we had a waiter or a wait, um, a waiter come to help us who was tight and down to business and kind of grumpy, we're like, oh, how long is this going to last? And surely within a few minutes he had them, you know, <laughs> melting and laughing and leaving their typical script of what they say to every table um, and every single person he talked to, he, he left that gift of them feeling a little bit more known, a little bit more seen. Hmm. Yeah, that's an incredible gift. So how how can we all develop something like that? I, I guess um, some of that is personality and the way we are, but how can we all kind of develop a little bit of that? Because it reminds me of we were at a restaurant recently where um, – <laughs> it struck us that every single one, and there must have been about 10 or 15 people serving or cleaning tables or or taking orders and taking payment, every single one of them looked really grumpy and the body language was so strong that I don't want to be here. It, it was screaming. And, and um, I thought, and it was a no, nice... Um, Nice location. Uh, the food was quite nice. Uh, everything about it said this could be a good experience, except all the people that were serving us clearly didn't want to be there. And I, I was very conscious of how can I make these people smile? How can I kind of bring these up? Because I'm actually grateful that they're helping me out, and I, you know, I could be enjoying myself if, if. I got a few smiles and if I didn't feel as though I was imposing on them, um, how can we all kind of develop some of that skill? Yeah, especially in a situation like that, I can like feel the tension in that room. Yeah, yeah. I've been in scenarios like that as well. I'm actually going to give you two tools. One of them is we can give a gift, but we can't make anyone receive it. We can only invite them. We can only invite them to be, as I'm imagining if I were in that space in that restaurant, I would want to invite that sense of calm or cheerfulness or kindness or ease 
to any interaction that I had had with the, with the wait staff. And so one is we can't, we can only invite. And two is that it starts with us. Hmm. And as you're telling the story, I can hear the plates clinking and the glasses, and I can hear maybe some ambiance around, and I can feel the heaviness of all of the wait staff and the, the expressions on their face and tight shoulders. And it makes me a little anxious thinking about it and feeling a little bit tighter myself. And so if I want to bring a gift to that situation, I have to mind myself first. And in, in my book and in my practices with my clients, this is often where we start. Whether you're battling nerves before you're on the stage or whether you're about to go into a high stakes conversation or whether in your situation you just need to cut through the current culture of tenseness, starting with our own selves, starting with getting ourselves into a mindset of calm, collected, confident, centered through breathing exercises. There's a, a number of things that you can do, but just removing yourself a little bit so that and taking care of yourself. What is it that I want to do? Again, getting that <clears throat> you were focused on, you wanted to have a good experience, mm -hmm. getting really clear on that in your own mind, changing your own neuro biology with doing some deeper breathing exercises, perhaps, you know, just shifting in your seat or expanding your own body, like actually oh, taking up a little bit more space and having that more relaxed demeanor. Like I'm fine. I feel safe here. I'm not closed. I'm not having to protect myself. I'm not contracted. I'm fine. And I can then have a better chance of inviting somebody else into that space of ease as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh, some great advice there. And, and I like that you kind of drew the parallel to speaking on stage, for example, and being nervous beforehand. And, and it's the same approach there of centering and relaxing and expanding. And the idea, so talk to us a little bit about this idea of feeling safe. How can we... Um, change our mindset that if we're getting on stage to speak and we're kind of nervous so I, I get nervous but I'm conscious that the nerves are around I want to deliver a message here I want to do a good job and I want to add value to my audience so I'm kind of nervous to make sure that I'm going to achieve those objectives. I'm not nervous in the sense of scared that somebody in the audience is going to jump up and and um, tell me that I'm talking rubbish or something like that, uh, which is is something that other people I think fear that that they're judged, they fear judgment, and yet most of the time if somebody gets up on stage everybody in the audience wants them to succeed because they're they're listening and they actually want to get some value out of that that time that they're spending with the speaker exactly exactly actually i've got two tools for this can i share two tools with you absolutely so one of them is exactly what you were talking about with your own awareness of your of your sensations before you go on stage. You can tell there's a nervousness, but it's maybe a good nervousness. In 2017, 2017, I was um, coaching some speakers for TEDx Salt Lake City. We'd been preparing for eight weeks or so, and all the speakers were really prepared, really excited about their topics. A few speakers had gone already, and the next speaker on stage, her name was Laura Hockenberry. And she had never spoken in public before. And here it was, a sold-out crowd of 3,000 people in this enormous 100-plus-year-old building on CU campus. And she was backstage while her friends, somebody was out front speaking, and she was getting the mic attached and you know, taping it on and doing all the things. And I was the mama bear backstage kind of helping people support and sending them off and receiving them after they got done. And I said, and I walked up to her and I could, her face was just flushed bright red and she was breathing kind of in a different way. And her legs were kind of 
wiggly and I was concerned about her. I was like, Laura, how are you doing? What's going on? What's going on? And she said, oh, I'm great. My body's just getting ready to be awesome. <laughs> and that is what happens to all of us. Your body needs to have a surge of energy before it goes out on stage and gives that much energy, even if it's not a formal stage, even if you just have to speak the truth to your manager or boss. If you need to tell somebody some bad news, your body's going to have your heart rate go a little faster. It's going to feel funny in your stomach because your body's going to choose to not digest right now. Your legs are going to feel a little jumpy so that they can get activated in case you need to move quickly. So reframing it in your mind that, oh, my body's getting ready to be awesome. That's one mm -hmm. tool. And you asked how we can feel safe. And here's another image for you. And that is that oftentimes when we're on a stage, whatever that stage may look like, we feel like we're the vulnerable ones. Like you said, is somebody going to jump out of the audience and say something or something dangerous can happen? But the reality is when we're in front, we're actually the ones in charge. The audience, they have given, they have surrendered their time and their attention. They're two most valuable mm -hmm. and never renewable resources. They have handed us their time and their attention. And it's our opportunity and even our responsibility to carry them through our time together, to give them something of value, to help them feel connected to help them see the world in a new way or laugh, just simply laugh together. And so that's one way of understanding it is that we are not the most vulnerable in the auditorium. It's the audience who is. Hmm. Yeah, I love that. I love both of those reframes. Um, the, the first one, I'll come back to the second one, but the first one in terms of my body's just getting ready to be awesome, that's that's such a powerful reframe, reframe. And often I hear people start their speech if they're just beginning with, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't prepared this as well as I, I had hoped, or I'm sorry, I'm really nervous. <laughs> and I, I always give people feedback on this, and I say, first of all, never apologise. Um, when you're starting the speech. Uh, secondly, nobody needs to know how much you've rehearsed or practiced or, or if you're feeling nervous, nobody needs to know that either. And I said, and the third thing is, the moment you articulate something like that, you're actually telling yourself, <laughs> speaking of neuro, <laughs> neuro uh, neurology, you're actually telling yourself that this is going to be awful. <laughs> so reframing that from the point of view of, Oh, I'm shaking a little bit. Well, my body's adjusting to be awesome is such a powerful reframe. Exactly. I love that. I love that. Yes, it's. Um, I had a thought and I lost it. There's a oh, yes, about the beginning. Exactly. Because if somebody goes out on stage and they say, I'm so nervous, They've just brought all the attention to themselves. Yeah. There isn't there isn't the attention on the audience. The audience is like, oh, well, you're just thinking about yourself. I don't know if you're here for me. Hmm. Um, in my book, one of my chapters talks about these subtle, these really important moments when you start a conversation, when you start a speech, when you start an engagement or a dialogue with somebody and that's starting from a place of a shared experience. Start somehow so you can be together in that. And hmm. I've seen so many, I'm sure we've all seen so many presentations where somebody gets up in front and the way that they start is by listing off all the credentials that we could have just read on LinkedIn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and instead, it's so much more powerful and memorable if you start with something to connect you and the audience. If you start with a question, then everybody's yeah. prefrontal cortex lights up as we wonder what's going on. If you start with a story, then our occipital lobe lights up as we 
imagine the visuals that you're describing. Mm. If you start with a joke, then our endorphins go as we are laughing together. So starting with something so that you can give the message, I'm here for you. There's something here for you. I've got you. I'm not going to abandon you. Mm. Let's go into this together. Yeah, yeah. And there's there's, um, three really great suggestions or frameworks for starting there that I love. And it it comes back to what you were saying earlier, which was the second point that I wanted to come back to, which is um, feeling safe that I'm actually in charge on stage. I'm on stage, so I'm actually in charge. And I have, first of all, the opportunity, secondly, the responsibility to honour the time and attention that my audience is, is giving me that moment, because that's a gift to me. And, and so I need to honour that. Um, and I, I love to start with a rhetorical question um, and, and then I just pause and, and observe the audience. And if I say, so I've got one speech where I talk about change and my, one of the openings I use for that is, have you ever wondered why so many people are resistant to change? And I've had experiences there where the whole front row would be sitting there, oh, yeah, like this. You know, and I was okay, we're, we're together now. <laughs> Here we go. Here yeah. we go. We're in it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I love that. That's one of my favorite that's one of my favorite ways to start as well is asking a question. And sometimes what some of my um, clients do who are preparing more formal talks like this is they set it up even by telling the audience by saying, by starting the whole talk saying, I'm going to ask you a question and I'm going to give you space to think about your answer. Mm. And then they ask the question and the amazing things that go on in people's brains that just when they're thinking about their own history or they're thinking about the answers. And then, you know, we're often running with all of our brains doing similar things at the same time. Mm. Yeah. Love it. Uh, you mentioned stories as as another way to kind of start off and connect with people. So why why are stories so impactful, and how can how can we make them more impactful and memorable? Yeah, stories. That's a it's a really important word, and unfortunately, in many professional contexts, it's um, people shy away sometimes from. St- from saying, from embracing the word story. I'm not sure how we got here that somehow stories seem to be, stories are often not as honored as data, mm. but our brain works in stories. Stories are literally how our mind understands the world. There's a scientist who, we can put it in the show notes, I don't remember it right now, was studying how we perceive the world and if a human brain sees an object sees a shape and a color that reminds the reminds the brain of a shape and a color that was a whole then the brain goes ah the last time i saw that shape and color i knew that something fell down inside here's the story there was an object in a setting that did a thing and then the world was a little bit different. That's all a story is, hmm. is an ob- is a, is a character in a place doing a thing and then there's change. And that is how our brain understands the world. So when it sees that same shape and color, then it's like, ah, I know the story of that thing. That's a hole in the ground. Now I know I'm going to walk around that. And that is how our mind puts, you know, sort of untangles the world and understands what's coming into it. Um, so stories are very deeply ingrained in how we think, how we understand each other, how we communicate information. And so anything, anytime we can share information by, I, I'm going to say lightly telling a story, our audience is going to remember it more. And when I say telling a story, I don't mean once upon a time or the fish was (laughs) this big. I'm talking simply about here are the people involved. Here's the context that they're in. Here's what they want. Here is the conflict that they have. And here's a way to solve it. And here's a way that it will be, it will be resolved by the end. And here's the way the world will be different. And 
that kind of framing, anytime we can add in a human element, or especially if we can add in emotion, this is what they want, this is how they're feeling, that turns it into a story, or any sensory details, this is the setting around them, this is what they see, this is what they hear, this is what we feel, that makes our brain light up around stories as well. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I love it. And one of one of my mentors in podcasting, he talks about um, theater of the mind he uses which which is a metaphor and I'll talk <laughs> I'll ask you about metaphors in a moment but theater of a mind and so he he talks about um, telling a story in a way that it's it's like a theater and you actually create a vision in the listener's mind of this is what's going on it's a little bit like um, reading a fiction novel or I've been listening to quite a lot recently audiobooks of fiction novels and and it struck me that the really good the really well written novels and then well read novels when you're listening the audiobook um, listening to that in my mind I'm sort of picturing this whole thing going on and uh, and stuff going on so that that makes a really powerful story as well yeah yeah, I heard. I love the. I love radio. I love audiobooks. I love the whole medium of of anything to do with listening. And some of my radio mentors um, say that radio is the most intimate medium because as you are listening, it is there are literal bones moving inside your own brain inside your own skull to listen um one of my favorite phrases about listening is that sound is touch at a distance because if i'm speaking and i'm changing the airwaves and the airwaves then are reaching my listener's ear then those airwaves are moving things inside their own the the they're moving the little bones inside the ear that then change and turn into signals that our brain can understand. And it's that much more powerful when we also then use, I love that that phrase, the theater of the mind, we kind of are in partnership with our listeners Hmm. as we are painting the picture. If I'm tell you about driving down a cold snowy road at night with the snowflakes falling so quickly that my windshield wipers can't clear them off fast enough. You're there with me. Hmm. You can probably feel the cold, feel a little bit of the tension, see that blurry windshield as well. Your mind is lighting up and we're there together in the snowstorm. Hmm. Fabulous. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mentioned metaphor as as one of the things. I mean, from from point of view of story, um, when we're giving a speech, I mean, it's easy to tell a story, but the story's got to be related to the message that I'm I'm giving and what I want to leave my audience with. And often, I like to think of, or oh, how can I t- take a story? That might be something that's easy for me to tell because it's a personal experience. It's easy for the listener to connect to because it could very well be a personal experience for them. And so it's going to connect that engagement. But how can I use that to leave a message in a way that may actually be kind of two steps removed from that? So, I mean, the example earlier that I used of... um, grabbing that or um, getting that guy's attention and drawing his attention to the fact that his trunk was open um, was an example that I used in, and I can't remember what, what triggered that example, but that's, that's in some ways that's a metaphor. How can we structure our stories or, or build our stories into the speech in a way that they do act as a metaphor where people take away not just the story, they remember the story, they remember, yes, that's a hole, this is what happened the last time I fell into a hole or whatever it might be, but also that here's, here's the takeaway for this that's, that's about, let's say, good, good, um, good speaking or confidence in presenting a message. Yeah. 
What I hear you, I'm, I'm going to go back to one thing you said a minute ago, and that is that it's easy to tell a story. I'm going to say it's not easy to tell a good story. <laughs> and and it's and what I'm hearing you asking is there's a, you know, telling a story of our, our life that like this such and thing happened to mm. me or I saw that or had such such and such adventure or drama in my life. How do you connect that to an to an audience? How do you make that meaningful to an audience? Mm. And especially if we're telling stories from our own life, there is a danger that we can get too wrapped up yeah. in our own experience of it. And because of that, I caution my speakers to rarely use, rarely talk about those stories in their life that are the most emotional, that were the most traumatic, that were the most dramatic, because we can get so, we can lose sight of giving that gift. We can lose sight of what is this, what is in this for the audience. There's actually one of my clients, I've been working with her for two years, and she has a, she came to me originally wanting to tell a story of um, a tragedy that she experienced. And we are now two years in, and we're still not ready to tell that story. We've talked about, she's learned about other storytelling things and how to tell a story and how to tell a story to about her work and how to pull people in in other ways. And this one core story of the, I think it's safe to say the most traumatic thing that's hmm. ever happened to her, that story still isn't, isn't ready. It's so difficult to craft it from the, from how does the audience need hmm. to hear this? So they're not overwhelmed with the devastation. So they're not overwhelmed. I'll, I actually, I made this mistake once. Um, I gave a talk at Ignite Boulder in the spring of 2018. And my idea was that I was going to give this talk on um, owning your, uh, taking ownership in your life and feeling that you had your own hands on your own steering wheel of your life and not being overwhelmed by past trauma. But to tell that story, I told about my past trauma. I told about how I was a young child who needed to have heart surgery. And I didn't balance it well enough. I didn't tell, I didn't tell the heart story in a way that it supported my message. And so afterwards, whenever I saw people or talked with them about my talk, all they remembered was the heart operation. Yeah, yeah. That was the only message they walked away with. And so it's a it's a tricky thing to hold and tell those, how to shape those most intense stories so they're not about you, so they are for the audience. Hmm. That's a really important point. And, and the other thing that strikes me there, and I have um, heard some talks where people have talked about some pretty serious trauma um, in their own personal lives. And I know, you know, they've done that from a point of view of they wanted to show that, hey, we've overcome this and resilience was the big message. Um, but you're right, you take away that message of, of the trauma. And the other thing I've noticed in that is that there's a huge risk there that people actually relive that trauma as they're telling the story. Um, and in that moment, as an audience member, I'm, I'm starting to feel really sorry for the person and I'm like, I'd like to go up and hug them and tell them it's going to be all right. Uh, but I've lost the message that they actually want me to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I, you and I are on the same page about this. I, Sometimes I've seen speakers who have gone through that as well, where they just relive it. They're right on stage. And I'm like, okay, they actually owe the audience a therapy check there. Like we were just <laughs> the therapist, like just yeah, yeah. witnessing what they went through. This was not, this was not for us. Um, this, and, and, and there's something powerful and we always remember those stories and we can be grateful for them and they have their place. They're like a very, very strong spice hmm. and use them very sparingly and with lots of other content all around it to, to help support it. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, the other technique you mentioned earlier, going back to like starting off the speech, was humour. And talk to me a little bit about how can we incorporate humour. So I, I think that I'm naturally not really a funny. I'm a I'm a jovial person, but I'm not really funny. And and so I I'm aware that if I aim to um, start off with a joke, it's probably not going to work out. So I, that, that's not a technique I use often. I will use humour during the talk, um, usually poked at myself. Um, so if I'm, for example, I might be telling a story about something I did and it didn't work out the way I expected and then I will kind of turn that into a little bit of humour by poking fun at myself. So talk to us a little bit about how can we incorporate some of that humour even if like me we're not a natural comedian. <laughs> yeah oh I so wish I could give three sentences and just that would be the magic wand that would help you and everyone be the humorous we wish. I, I've read a lot of books about humour and um from what I understand and what I've observed, there's some people who and who hit some moments and they just have got it. They can just feel the room and they know how to play enough with what's unexpected so that it brings laughter, but it's not too far out of bounds so that people feel uncomfortable. That is a an art and a fine dance and I'm not positive it can be taught, but I do have some books, especially if you're preparing for something, if you have some time beforehand, that is a more guaranteed and sure way to like work humor in and to understand how you want to use humor. Um, again, I assume we're doing show notes and I can give you some links to some of my favorite resources on this. Sure. Yeah. I appreciate that. We'll have those in the show notes. All right. Well, yeah. this is um, fascinating. I can go on talking ages about all the different techniques for um, speaking. And, and of course, it's it's more than just public speaking. Speakership is leadership. And if you're ever in a leadership role, you have to deliver a message. You have to give a presentation. You have to do a webinar online um, or, well, sorry, I, I should reframe that and say you get the opportunity to speak on stage, you get the opportunity, you have the opportunity to present a webinar online, or you have the opportunity just to speak to some other people and um, leave them some sort of message, whether it's to influence them to do something, um, to implement an idea that you have, or whether it's something as simple as ordering a meal at a restaurant. Um, we're always doing that. So um, thanks for all the tips you've given us so far. I think it's a good time now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round, the same five questions I ask of every guest. Um, and the idea here is you'll share some tips from your experience to inspire our listener to go and do something awesome today as a result. Excellent. Let's go for it. Excellent. Okay. Well, what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Sleep. <laughs> I love that. We are so sleep deprived. Yep. yep. Refresh your brain, bathe your brain in sleep, and it will serve you well. Yeah. And I, I have to say that um, I, is it, what's the guy's name? Why We Sleep, the author of Why We Sleep? Um, Matthew. Yeah, I remember Matthew. Anyway, I'll have that in the show notes as well. So um, I, I read that and I've also looked at some other stuff on sleep and realized I, I'm probably not doing this real well. And and for about 12 months now, I've been really conscious about how I'm sleeping and the difference that makes is just unbelievable to everything. So yeah, sleep. <laughs> yes, yeah. Wonderful. What's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas? Besides sleep, um, I get a lot of ideas when I go walking. Mm -hmm. um, and also something about being in a, um, in a concert, not necessarily one of like a, yeah, when I'm in front of live music and just enjoying music, there's something about that relaxing 
where I always have a pen and notebook with me because something something strikes me along the way, giving your your brain space to just wander and make connections is has been the best way for me. Hmm. Yeah, I love it. And, and it's those things are really about stepping away from often the computer screen or the sort of whatever it is we're working on and taking time to, okay, leave that aside, come back to that later and doing something mm-hmm. like just sitting down and listening to music and being fully present to that, I guess, is, is a really important part or, or the walk. Yeah, and I, that's and I'll say this, that those are the tools that work for me is I, I know that the way my brain works is my, my phrase for it is I need to take it to the cave. Like I just, whatever's going on, I just need to go, you know, put on my hoodie and my headphones and sit in quiet for a minute. But many of my clients and colleagues, they need to talk it out. Hmm. And it's not until they say it all out loud and they're like, yeah, that's what I think. Oh, now I see this that I was thinking. And that's where their ideas come from is by verbally connecting and having a soundboard there to reflect what they're hearing. Hmm. Excellent. All right. Um, Do you have a favorite resource you use most often? One, oh, let's see, resource. One resource. I am just resourceful. I'm resource (laughs) abundant. I don't know if I can say one. Um, I, I would say that the place that I turn most often if I need an infusion is audiobooks. Hmm. I, that's my favorite go-to when I need to decompress or I need to refuel, just put on the headphones, listen to somebody saying amazing things about new ideas. My my recent most favorite is Susan Cain's Bittersweet. I think I've listened to it at least twice, maybe three times now. Hmm. Excellent. I'm marvelous, not, marvelous yeah, work. I'm not familiar with that one. Um, but yeah, Susan Cain's work, I'm, I'm an admirer of her work, so I'll have to check that out. Excellent. Now, what's the best way to keep a client on track? Mm. In that question, I'm going to question your question because there's two <laughs> parts of it. What is the best? And that word best I have trouble with because it's the answer would be different for different clients. And so I'm going to I'm going to withdraw a little bit from the word best, and instead I'm going to say my f- my favorite tool for being with a client. So here's the second part of your question of keeping them on track. I don't feel like my job is to keep them on track. I feel like my job is to track where they are and help them see where they are in the moment and see if it's different from where they want to go. So my answer then is being present and practicing over and over and over, getting rid of my assumptions, being very clear with what they are saying in the space and nothing more. Being clear and present with them and helping them feel that, that I'm with them and then I can also help them see what is what is next. Mm, mm, I love that. Yeah, it's a kind of almost like a, a human GPS for where they are so <laughs> with the map. <laughs> Isn't that what we all want? We all just want somebody to say, here, you are here. You are you hit, yeah, yeah. This is what's going on. And here's where you're going next. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I love it. Um, and I love that you challenged the best. <laughs> so I'm sort of reflecting on the, the question itself. Uh, I know my business coach would probably say the best, what's the best or better, better than what. <laughs> All right. Now, this one is not the best. It's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's totally different than the best. I, I, Number I, one and the best are totally different. Yeah. That's that's actually the way the question <laughs> is written. <laughs> I know, I know, I'm teasing you. Um, to differ, the way to differentiate yourself, I'm going to refer to the work of um, one of my clients. Um, and she has fascinating work around finding the intersection of what you do. All of us are, many of us are, are multiple things. She gives an example, Sarah Beth Burke is her name. And she gives the example that she is an artist and she's also been a researcher and an innovator. And the places where she is the most valuable are the places where those things intersect. So for example, she was in a position at the University of Colorado and they asked her to do some research to show the effects of some funding. Money has gone here, what's the result of it? And instead of doing a spreadsheet, she created an infographic. So she used her artistic background and her researching to come up with the information and then she used her innovation to present it in a way it had never been presented before. And it's this beautiful graphic also representing their area of beautiful Colorado with mountains and trees and peaks of different heights and information. And that's how she differentiated herself. That's how she brought her most, her most value is finding these intersection points between the parts of herself of who she is. And her, her book is called More Than My Title. Um, and that's what I would encourage people to do. Discover who you are. What, where are your intersecting points of your professional identity? Yeah, yeah, I love that. And, and we've all, every single one of us has got a completely unique collection of experiences and um, know-how and education, whatever, whatever contributes to the life experiences we've had, but put them all together and, and all of a sudden we are unique. So finding that kind of combination where we can add value is great. Mm. Exactly. Mm. All right. Well, thanks, Margaret. This has been absolutely fabulous. Now, where can people find out more about you and, and also get a hold of the book Speakership is Leadership by the time we publish this episode, it should be uh, available. Yes. So everything about me, you can find at my website. My company is Master Speaker Lab. So the website's masterspeakerlab.com. And you can find the book there and uh, following us on me on Instagram. I'm Margaret Watts Romney, um, which is LinkedIn as well. But yeah, look for Master Speaker Lab and you can find me in Speakership is Leadership there. Excellent. And we'll have links, of course, to those things in the show notes, as well as all the other bits and pieces that we've mentioned along the way, and, um, and it'll be easy to find. Now, as we wrap it up, Margaret, what action would you like our listener to take away from our conversation today? I think the one action is think about your gift. What is it that you want to leave your community, your listeners, your colleagues, your family with after you speak with them? What is it that you're bringing that can better their lives and that you want to leave after you've been speaking with them? Hmm. Fabulous. And it ties in with where we started today, I guess, which is the, the changing the mindset of that um, when we speak or make a presentation it is a gift and and also we have to honor the investment of time and attention that our audience is making in us exactly exactly we are the one in control in that scenario they are the ones who are vulnerable who have given us their time and attention and we have the opportunity and responsibility to make their time worthwhile Great, great message to end up on. So thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights with us so generously today, Margaret. This has been a fun conversation and I look forward to many more conversations. So all the best for the future and please do stay in touch. Me too. I agree. Thank you so much for all your wonderful questions. I really appreciate it. This has been delightful. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. 
It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Remember to visit innovabiz.co forward slash flyroom and secure your membership to the exclusive Flyworld Nation community where you'll enjoy direct access to our incredible podcast guests, engaging meaningful conversations and participate in connection events designed to elevate your business journey. Don't miss out. Join Flywell Nation today. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.